It's just a summary of all that God has given them. Forty years later, they're moving toward entering the promised land. And Moses says, you need to know what God has told us to do. You need to know what God expects of us. And as he tells them those things to a brand new generation, they're learning very, very pointedly that there are consequences, both good and bad, to obedience or disobedience. Now, I want to start out this morning with a want ad. I want you to see a want ad. Maybe some of you are, you know, interested in changing jobs. Maybe you're looking for a job. And so I thought it would be appropriate for us together to look at a want ad. And as we look at this ad together, let me just read it. I'll put actually what uh, was listed there on the screen. Here we go. A spokesman needed for an international firm. Maybe I've got somebody's attention already. You're excited. No experience is necessary. No education is required. You must be between 20 and 85. Okay, so that covers a lot of us here. Most of you are still in there and qualified. This is full or part-time. It's an exciting job with lots of travel. Must be willing to move often, sometimes in the middle of the night. Now, some of you are beginning to be skeptical of this new job that's uh, being posted. Must be comfortable speaking in large crowds. Will meet often with the CEO who will instruct or brief you on what to say to the public. Important that you will be able to move in all circles of society from the highest to the lowest. Good vocabulary is a must. Ability to speak in colorful images is a big plus. Job entails unusual diet, including locust and wild honey. Must look good in sackcloth and ashes. That probably just knocked out a few of you say, I'm, I'm not going there. Unlimited opportunity for advancement. Low pay, but the benefits are out of this world. Must be willing to endure ridicule, persecution, slander, and occasional beating. Some of you say, well, that's not far off from the job that I currently have, Pastor. That's another story. But I want you to see this. This job has one very, very significant negative aspect. And here it is. If you make one mistake, you'll be stoned to death. This is the job description of a prophet in the Old Testament. Biblical prophets were to meet with God and to speak for God on behalf of God to the people of God. And to be a prophet was a very challenging thing. But what I want to talk to you about this morning is an emphasis on the prophetic ministry of Christ. Now you say, well, I thought we were studying the Old Testament. We are, but I want you to see how closely linked this story from Deuteronomy is to Jesus. And I didn't say the prophetic ministry of Jesus because I wanted you to clearly see the title Christ. Let me use the Hebrew word. I'm talking about the prophetic ministry of Messiah, of the sent one, the one that would be expected to come. So turn with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. We'll be looking there together, verses 9 through 22. I'm waiting and listening. I, there's nothing more special in the ears of a pastor than the turning of the pages of Scripture. Love to hear us there together. By the way, while you're turning there, let me give a quick report. I, I know that things are a little different today. I'm so grateful for Dr. Jeremy Morgan leading us. Uh, Dr. Wes Dykes, our minister of music, is away. He's traveled some for William Carey, but they were on spring break this week and able to go and visit with their son. Uh, and so we want to pray for their safe travels. That gave our choir uh, a spring break off, and so most of them are in Destin. No, actually, I see most of you right out there now. So I appreciate our choir being here. Our orchestra, however, is gone. They'll be back next week. 
But this has been a great week of ministry and service in, in unique ways. We even, uh, as of today, will have others going back to the airport to pick up mission teams that are coming in. And so we're grateful for all that service. Scott Alexander, our associate pastor, uh, or I, I should say our minister of offertory prayer and announcement on Sunday morning, is not here this morning. He's preaching for a dear friend of his. And so uh, we just appreciate the, the freedom and flexibility to be able to serve in different ways. I had the privilege of serving last week down in Stone County in Revival, and I'll give quick report. Uh, we had a number of folks that were saved, and, and a lot of things that uh, just happened there, a lot of movement to the altar each night. Last week, though, Scott and uh, Brother Scott Alexander and Brother Joe Gunter failed to mention where I was preaching. He just said that pastor's off preaching somewhere, and a lot of people were texting and calling saying, you're not preaching somewhere in view of a I said, no. And then I had people that showed up at the revival just, I guess, to make sure that I was actually there. And so some of you that were there, thank you for your support. It was kind of fun. I told the folks of Big Level Baptist Church when some of our folks showed up and all sat together, I said, I think this is a search committee from Hardy's. Street Baptist Church coming to hear me preach. So anyway, it was, uh, it was a good week, but let's look together in Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 9. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering, and do not let your people practice fortune-telling, or use sorcery, or interpret omens, or engage in witchcraft, or cast spells, or function as mediums, or psychics, or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. But you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you are about to displace consult sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. I'll stop there for just a moment. You, you think about this list and you say it's absurd that he would say sacrificing their children would be in a list of all these other things that even in our day sometimes seem harmless. I mean, I'll look for a horoscope or look at somebody to read a tarot card or, or kids might play with a Ouija board and you stop and think, God is saying have nothing to do with those kinds of things, but focus yourself on holiness and purity. And, and so we'll talk through this. Now he gives the remedy in verse 15. Look with me if you will. Moses continued, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Let me just give you a word of pastoral advice. Underline verse 15 in your Bible. This is one of those key watershed moments in the hearts and lives of the people. In fact, I shared with some of our men early this morning as we were praying, God really use this verse in a unique way. I'm not going to share something new. There's nothing new under the sun, but I am going to shed light on something perhaps that you've not seen before. You and I need to take our uh, Jewish lenses, if you will, and, and slide them on as we read the Bible because the context of the Bible is Judaism. And as we read it moving forward, we're going to begin to see some amazing things that perhaps you've not seen even in the life of Jesus. But here Moses is told by God, I am going to raise up a prophet like you. Like who? Like Moses. I'm going to raise up a prophet like you from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Make just a note there, a mental note. We'll come back to that phrase in just a bit. Verse 16. 
For this is what you yourselves requested of the Lord your God when you were assembled at Mount Sinai. You said, do not let us hear the voice of uh, the Lord our God anymore uh, or see this blazing fire, for we will die. Then the Lord said to me, what, have they, what they have said is right. I will raise up, here he goes again, I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and will tell the people everything I have commanded him. I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages the prophet proclaims on my behalf. But any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name or who speaks in the name of another God must die. But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. The prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. I want you to imagine with me, if you will, that there is a, a person in your friend group. Let's just go back maybe to your college days. Or if you're in college now, just imagine that there's a friend in your peer group. Or if you're not yet in college, so I get everybody covered. If you're thinking toward college, imagine one day that one of your friends there, his name is Joe. And Joe is an unbelievably wise guy. I don't mean that from the smart aleck sense of the, the word. I mean he's brilliant. Joe is one of those guys who you just see immediately. He doesn't have to study very hard. He makes incredible grades. He has a mind that can grasp con just complex theories. He, he's a Phi Beta Kappa and he graduates college magna cum laude and he's on his way toward law school. There's one problem with Joe, though. So imagine he's a part of your friend group. You hang out, you go out to eat, you do social things, and Joe's right there in the midst and in the mix. As Joe is around you, you begin to see a developing problem. You see, as you get together with him, let's, I see Job. Let's get rid of Job. Can we clear that one off? That'll work. I don't know what happened there. We're just a background. Let, we'll stay there for a moment. As we, as we think, though, about Job, every single time you see Joe, it seems like he's coming or going toward the store, and he buys a case of beer. And Joe buys a 24-pack of beer, and he sits down to play cards or a board game with his friends, and he's just constantly drinking. And it seems to get worse. For a long time, it's just kind of a social thing, but it just develops and develops even more. You begin to see him drinking by himself. And you at times go, you know, Joe's got a real problem, and I probably ought to say something to Joe, but you never do. And there comes a day when you begin to see that it's just getting out of control. His preparation for his LSAT exam looks like this. He drinks himself into a stupor and gets up the next morning in a horrible, hungover state to go take the test. All the signs indicate that he has a serious drinking problem. All the signs indicate, but nobody wants to say anything to him. Like, I I'm worried you might be an alcoholic. Finally, one day, the whole group is together, and you're gathered around, and Joe, your friend, says this, you know, I'm mad that none of you have said anything to me about my drinking. I thought you were my friends. Aren't you the least bit concerned? I mean, he begins to see his own life as out of control, and his confrontation would floor you. It would shock you and probably even humble you. His words contain a very important lesson, and here's that lesson. We need a prophet. We need somebody who will tell us the truth, especially when it hurts. Would you agree with that? 
Dr. Adrian Rogers, whom I quote often just because of his influence in my own life, said this, and it was so wise. He said, it is so much better to hear a word that hurts than heals than to hear a word that comforts than kills. You've heard me say that before. You know, if a friend just butters you up all the time and tells you exactly what you want to hear and never what you need to hear, what good is that? If I am have a, a deadly disease and surgery is the remedy, then it's going to hurt. They're going to take a scalpel and they'll inflict a, an injury that will bring healing. That scalpel and that incision will hurt, but it will heal over time. If I have that same disease and the doctor says, well, we can simply put a Band-Aid. There's no need to put you through the pain of surgery. And they put a Band-Aid and sooner or later that disease takes my life. What good is that? It is better to hear a word that hurts than heals than a word that comforts than kills. And what I'm saying is we need a prophet. Moses was a prophet. God was speaking through Moses to the people. And he promises here in verse 15 and in verse 18, I'm going to raise up another prophet. Now you say, well, Brother Scott, I've read through a good bit of the Bible, and there were tons of prophets in the Bible. I'm glad you see that. But we're going to see that specifically here in Deuteronomy 18, he's not talking about one after another after another. He's talking about one prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And we're going to come to that in a moment. Biblical prophets, you need to understand this, they were far more concerned about telling the truth in the present than they were in predicting the future. Sometimes we think a prophet's just one that tells the future. It's interesting to me that modern day society has so corrupted or perverted this idea of prophecy that we don't really even fully understand what it is. I mean, you think about it. What, what is the first picture that comes to mind when you think of a prophet? Maybe you think of somebody like David Koresh or Jim Jones. You think of somebody that has self-proclaimed that they have a message. Maybe you have a picture of somebody in long flowing robes and a scraggly beard. And they are mystical in the way that they move and operate. And people seek them out as a prophet. Maybe you think of years gone by. If you remember, there was a litany of of. Uh, phone numbers that you could call and there was a Jamaican woman there that said she could read your tarot cards and she could tell your fortune and uh, it's, they had the, the Psychic Friends Network and Hotline there are prophets and prophetesses there and, and interesting to me that on this side of it they went bankrupt and you want to say they should have seen that coming I thought that was funny but as the Psychic Friends Network and others touted prophecy and the ability, we look at prophets and say, well, these were men that told the future. They, they would foretell the future. Well, often we know that they were far more interested in foretelling than foretelling. They were sharing truth. Now, they did certainly predict the future in this, that the consequences of the people would lead to a specific end. If the people acted in obedience, the consequence was blessing. If they acted in disobedience, there were curses that came and there were punishments that came and the prophet would tell these kinds of things but you need to understand that that today the biblical picture of a prophet is much much more like a lawyer they were more like God's prosecuting attorneys than anything else and again they were more interested in telling the truth in the present than moving forward back in verse 18 we see that God's speaking to Moses saying I'll raise up a prophet like you from among your brothers and I will put my words in his mouth 
That was God's mode of operation. God's MO was that he would give to the prophet the words he wanted to speak. And they would speak them. That's what Moses did. Think about that. That's what Moses did when he came off of the mountain with the Ten Commandments. God gave him the message and he shared the message. Some of you may be kind of glazed over and saying, where are we going with this toward Jesus? Hang with me. Let's just consider this world. The people have said God is too awesome, too... uh, dangerous, if you will, for us to even be near. We want somebody to go on our behalf. And so God granted that, and he let Moses come into his presence. And Moses would come down and speak. And as he did, here we see him saying, I am going to raise up a prophet. The the Bible is clear. Moses often told them, the culture around you, the people around you, are absolutely wicked and detestable. They do horrible and heinous things and you need to purge all of that out of your presence out of your midst get rid of every bit of it and God says I am going to raise up a prophet now again throughout history we understand from this side that he did that I mean you begin to think about it King David had Nathan who came and spoke as a prophet and and chided him for his murder and adultery and others were there Jeremiah ministered during the fall of Jerusalem. Ezekiel ministered to the Israelites. You had Hosea and Habakkuk and Jonah and other prophets of God. Each of them called for repentance and obedience. But here we see in verses 15 and 18 a call that he's going to raise up a prophet. So what, what does he mean? Who's he talking about? Who will be like Moses? Would it be Jonah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah? But I want you to put on those Jewish lenses with me for a moment. For decades and centuries, for generations, they longed for one like Moses. Moses has delivered us. Every year we're going to have Passover. Every year we're going to celebrate how God used Moses with the plagues and the parting of the sea to bring us forward. Every year this is such an intrinsic part. And Moses stands before us and says, this is what God has said. I will send another like this. And their hearts began to beat fast because they said, our Messiah is coming. There is one who is coming, a promised deliverer. And it dates back before Moses. It predates him back to Genesis. In Genesis 3, when God covered them with the clothing of an animal and declared spiritual warfare by saying, there's one who is coming that will crush the head of the enemy. He will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. They had, from the time they were little, you sat on the lap of your Jewish mother and she bounced you as a baby and sang songs of deliverance from Moses' days. And you had a promise that was there. The backdrop of the fabric of our entire life was promise. Let me say that again. The backdrop of the fabric of our whole life is promise. Promise of what, Pastor? Promise of Messiah. I'm going to send another prophet. I'll raise him up from among you just like Moses. Do you think this is him? He's coming. One day we're going to get a prophet. One day we're going to get a prophet. Now I want you to see that Jesus functioned in three very specific offices or in three different ways. The first one is that of prophet. Write that down. This simply means that he represented God and went before man on behalf of God. That's what a prophet did. He was a mouthpiece for God to the people. 
Jesus did this. Jesus came declaring, repent and believe. Jesus came declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. He served as a prophet. Secondly, I want you to see that he served as a priest. Help me out. What did a priest do? A priest went before God on behalf of who? Mankind. A prophet goes to man on behalf of God. A priest goes to God on behalf of man. Jesus did that as well, did he not? In fact, he's our great high priest. He is the one that separated, uh, the veil was torn. He separated the division between the holy of holies and the holy place. He allowed us now access and entrance into the presence of God because he was our great high priest. He operated as prophet, as priest. And what's the third role we see in the life of Israel? King. He operated as king, the king of all kings, the the anointed Messiah, the one who would come and rule and reign. And we know that this prophecy has not yet fully been consummated, but one day his kingdom will come and all other kingdoms will be folded into the kingdom of our God and his Christ. And he shall reign and rule forever and ever and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. But he operated as prophet, priest, and king. Now, why is that important? I'm I'm doing some teaching here that you need to grasp. These earthly offices that men held in the Old Testament were carried out by Jesus, and he fulfilled them in spiritual realms where they operated in more temporal and secular realms. Let's go ahead and put that up so we can fill those in. Jesus fulfilled these roles of prophet, priest, and king I mean, think about it. They had prophets, Elijah, Jonah, Moses, Habakkuk. All these were prophets, and they were in a temporal way telling people about God, the Word of God. There were priests. We know of many of them. We see these high priests. We see Aaron and the Levites. Well, they went to God on behalf of them. The people, in a temporal way, they offered sacrifices in the tabernacle over and over again. Jesus, in a spiritual sense, was prophet, priest, and ultimately king. We know that there were kings in Israel, and the kings of Israel operated to rule over. So what does a prophet do? He goes to man on behalf of God. What does a priest do? He goes to God on behalf of man. What does a king do? He rules over man on behalf of God. And all three of those roles were fulfilled by Jesus. Now, I want to give you two very quick thoughts. There's a few subpoints, but I really want you to grab these. Number one, the scriptural idea of a prophet. The scriptural idea of a prophet. If you look at the Bible, why this begins to fit together begins will give to you a beautiful picture of who God is. You see, God ordained offices of prophet, priest, and king so that it would be fulfilled in Jesus in such a way that we would see his magnificence. And we started our service this morning with the idea that his name is majestic. Oh, that you and I would see the glories of this. A prophet that would bring the word of God to man is simply doing this. Prophecy is human revelation or pronouncement, rather, excuse me, of divine revelation. Human pronouncement. It's a man speaking God's words. Some people would say today, I am a prophet. If somebody says they have a prophetic word from the Lord, let me just give you a good piece of advice. My very first step would be backwards. 
And here's why. God's given us sufficiently all that we need for life and godliness in these words. These 66 books of the Bible are everything that we need, the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And new revelation from God is not what we need. We need new illumination on the truth that we already have. And the Holy Spirit will give that. If a man stands to preach and he preaches a prophetic word in the sense that it grips your heart and moves you, amen. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that prophecies will cease. And the reality is that in Jesus Christ, there's no more need for new revelation. He is the final authority and revelation of God. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, all of a sudden, we've got the beautiful, full picture of God. He is the exact representation of God the Father. But prophecy was pronouncement of divine revelation. Secondly, I want you to see this. Prophecy is new revelation. So in the Bible... The scriptural understanding was this was learning something new about God. And when Moses gave this prophecy, verse 15, and said, There is coming another, a prophet raised up. Their ears, their antenna ought to perk up. And here's why. Because when he said that, they knew that it would come true if it came from the Lord. A prophet that spoke on behalf of God and it did not come true, they would drag out and stone. They would kill him. And they needed to. I've said this oftentimes. You've heard me say it from this pulpit. I believe that repentance would be far, far more frequent in our church and churches like ours if the wages of sin was payable on delivery. If you sinned and God immediately struck you dead, I would imagine people around you would straighten up their act. Wouldn't you agree? I've said it. I I just imagine the offering, you know, because that was where God struck down in the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira lied about what they gave. Can you imagine if the ushers started at the front and they're going through the aisles and people on aisle two and people on row six and people on row seven just started keeling over dead? I bet people in the back would start writing new checks. They would evaluate their level of giving. And it's not about money. I'm being facetious there. But if God truly showed all of his authority and all of his power, and he immediately brought upon us the wages of our sin, I guarantee you it would catch our attention. The prophets of old were stoned. It is a pronouncement of new revelation, but it's also predictive revelation. It does tell the future. It does tell the future, and the importance of that is that here we see biblical prophecy. Moses says, God is telling me I'm about to raise up a prophet. Now, this is worth the price of admission. I want you to see that Jesus Christ embodied fully this prophetic word. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophetic role. Yes, there were other prophets after Moses, but those weren't the ones he was talking about. He said, I'm going to raise up a prophet like you. And he was talking about Jesus. What did Moses do? Moses led the people out of slavery. What did Jesus do? Jesus leads people out of slavery. Moses leads people out of slavery from Egypt. God uses Jesus to lead people out of slavery from sin. Moses interceded on behalf of the people. Oftentimes the father wanted to destroy them, wipe them out, and he pleaded on their behalf. And Jesus lives now to ever make intercession on our behalf. He stands as our mediator between God and us. And we're so grateful for that, that Jesus would offer to us that kind of access. Jesus embodied it. And this is the part that just fires me up. Do you remember when Jesus was being baptized? We see an unbelievable sense of anointing as the whole Trinity is seen in one picture. God the Father is speaking. 
God the Son is being baptized. The Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. And what does God say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And if you look at Matthew's account, you know what Matthew adds? Listen to him. What did Moses say in verse 15? This is where I want you to put those Jewish lenses on. God said to Moses, I'm going to raise up a prophet from among the Israelites, a prophet like you. And what did he say? Listen, help me out, to him. What does Mary say at the wedding in Cana when they start giving instructions? He tells them what they need to do about getting the water jars together. She says, do whatever he says. You know what she said? Listen to him. Listen to him. And over and over again, all throughout the Bible now for hundreds of years, you talk about predictive prophecy. This ought to make you want to shout because all of a sudden your ears perk up and you say, this is Messiah. This isn't just another little baby boy named Yeshua. There were many of those. God saves. They longed for God to save. This is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the sent one, the anointed one. And everything he said is true. And if we read Deuteronomy through the lens of Jesus, and we read Jesus through the lens of Deuteronomy, all of a sudden it says there are consequences. God said, I'll deal with those who don't listen to him. And what I would say to you is you need to be saved today. You need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for he is a prophet of God who speaks on behalf of God, embodying the full word of God that says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll trust him, you can be saved. If you deny him and renounce him, you will spend eternity separated from him. We must not lose sight of the completed work of God through his Bible and the perfection that's there. I marvel at this. That he was willing to tell them the truth in such a way that they would long for it, knowing they could never satisfy the demands of his holiness on their own. And they hoped for one who would come on their behalf, and he came. Deuteronomy, as we're studying it, could could be dry and stale and dusty if you read it by itself. It's just so repetitive, Pastor. I, I come to these laws and decrees and statutes that I declare to you this day, says the Lord your God. But all of a sudden, you begin to see it in the full light of his revelation. And this prophecy becomes for us glorious. That Jesus Christ is the prophet like Moses that would come and embody fully the word of the Lord. Let me tell you what else he did. He diagnosed the true human condition. He diagnosed the true human condition. Again, when God spoke those words, listen to him, everything that he said pointed them toward their need to repent. This is a prophet. Listen to him. This is the one Moses was talking about. This is the one to whom we must listen above all others, for he is greater than every other prophet. He understands our need. He understands our life. And all other voices, when he speaks, God speaks. Listen carefully to everything he says. Believe it. Bow to it, obey it, follow after him because his words are life. He spoke to a woman at the well in John chapter 4 and she said, here's a man who told me everything about my life and many believe because of this woman's testimony. In John chapter 3, just prior to that, he speaks to a well-versed man in the Bible and he would have heard very, very clearly, Nicodemus would have heard, listen to him at that point of baptism. Maybe, just maybe, this is Messiah. 
when Lazarus dies in Luke 11 and Mary and Martha both come out if you'd been here our brother would not be dead and he said did I not tell you that if you only believe that you would experience life there would be resurrection he said I am the resurrection I am the life Jesus Christ is the voice to listen to because he understands your human condition I don't know where you are this morning in your search for God or in God's search for you. I don't know if you find yourself this morning disengaged from God. I shared last week this notion of the Bible saying that we, in the Old Testament, God's people had done two things. And and it's a definite condition of ours today. In the book of Jeremiah, God said, my people have, have committed two sins. They have left me. And they've dug for themselves cisterns that will not hold water. I I preached last week in our revival all around the theme of thirst. The Bible says from early on till the very end in, in Revelation, come, drink freely from the living water. We're satisfied with substitutes. We've dug out cisterns that won't hold water and, and, and we scrape the, the pond scum off the top of that stagnant water and drink from that, thinking it will satisfy us, when all the while God offers to us an artesian well that never, ever stops. And when God said, I will raise up a prophet for you, and they longingly looked toward it, that they just saw it, maybe it's too good to be true, or maybe not good enough in their estimation. No, we don't want what he offers spiritually. We want him to overthrow Rome and we want to rule and reign. You know what? The things of this earth will rust and rot and fail. They will break down and they will decay. But the word of God will stand forever. And Jesus Christ, who fully embodied the word of God, says to you today, I am the resurrection and the life. Come to him substitutes for the real spring all three of our girls when they were little for a time could be pacified with a substitute there was sometimes not a real hunger but just a an infant restlessness and we'd pop a little pacifier in their mouth and and they'd suck on it for a little bit and drift off to sleep they were pacified sometimes though there was a genuine hunger in their stomach and they would Take that pacifier for a moment, and and they would suck on it, and then they'd spit it out, and they'd scream. Why? Because there was a deeper hunger that that little substitute couldn't pacify. Some of you are pacifying the deep hunger of your soul with things of this earth that will rot and rust and decay and fade away. Your money will all be gone. Your health will all be gone. Your beauty one day will be fleeting. Everything that you're depending upon, except for the foundation of Christ. And in the book of Deuteronomy, long years before a Messiah would come, 1,400 years or so before the birth of Jesus, God would say, I've got a plan. I'm going to raise one up. You better listen to him because in him, is life. Amen? And for you and for me, that message ought to be the one that we would share. Well, he diagnosed the human condition, but finally I want you to see this. He predicted the true course of history. He predicted the true course of history. He said, very simply, if you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. 
He knew the future. He knew his own death. He knew that he was going to die. He knew that Lazarus was going to die. He said, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because he knew he was going to go raise him from the dead. Over and over again, we see in Jesus the prophetic ministry fulfilled completely. He operated as a prophet. He spoke on behalf of God. His work was continually authenticated by miraculous signs. And in his predictions coming true, one after another after another, we can say there's a validation of the hand of God. He's a true prophet. And yet he was killed, knowing that he would rise again. One commentator said this, when we open our eyes and we see evidence of a vast and powerful and uncontrolled God around us, we realize we need a mediator to stand between this awesome God and us. This prophet, this truth teller is the first of all of those mediators. He tells God's word reliably. Jesus Christ is the fullness of his word and he tells the truth about who God is and who we are before a holy God and who we can become in the presence of a holy God forever. He tells of the grace of God that makes that relationship available. Years ago, there was an anti-drug commercial and it showed teenagers ranting toward their parents. A series of them making phrases like this, Mom, Dad, you never let me stay out late. You always wanted to know who I was with. You invaded my privacy. You asked me where we were going and what we were doing. You checked in on my room. You asked hard questions and I hated you for it. And then it came to the end of the commercial. And one by one by one, all of those kids said, thank you. We need a prophet. Jesus is the ultimate prophecy from God. He's the ultimate high priest. He's the soon and coming king. What should be our response? You ready? Listen to him. Are you listening to the voice of God? Today, as we have a hymn of response, just like I did all week last week, I, I want to ask you to do something. This is kind of old school. Some of you may kind of be weirded out. I'm, I'm not going to do anything weird. I, I just want you to, we're going to pray together. So I want every head bowed and every eye closed. As our instrumentalists are coming, as our musicians are coming, every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment. No one's looking around. If you can say with confidence, I know Jesus Christ. I have placed my faith in him for salvation. I know where I will spend eternity because of his promises, not because of what I do. His prophetic word is true, that if you call upon his name, you'll be saved. Would you quietly and gently just slip your hand up as a testimony? You say, I know I'm saved, and I know I'm going to heaven when I die. You can slip your hands down. Thank you very much. Nobody's looking around. Every head's bowed. Every eye's closed. If you would say this morning, I have never placed my faith in Christ. I don't have a relationship with God. I'm uncertain where I would spend eternity. Would you be so bold? Nobody's looking around but, but me. Would you be so bold as to raise your hand? If that's the condition of your heart this morning and you need to be saved. Thank you. You can put your hand down. If that's your condition, would you simply cry out to the Lord this morning? You, you can pray to him. Just simply say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. 
I know that you died on the cross in my place to offer me life. You rose again, making it possible for me to have new life. I confess my sin and forsake it and turn to you. Lord Jesus, I want you to become the Lord of my life and lead me from today into heaven. I want to pray. Every head still bowed, every eyes closed. If you need to respond to the Lord, if you prayed that prayer, or if you want to unite yourself with this church, we want to give you an opportunity to do so. We'll have staff members down here at front and, and some other prayer partners that would love to just share with you from God's Word, whatever need. They'd love to listen to you and pray with you if they can to encourage you in any way possible. Let me pray, and then you respond. Don't walk out of here and say, I've heard all of that. No, listen to Him. Whatever the Spirit of God is saying to your heart, Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the glorious promise that spanned literally hundreds and hundreds of years that you, God, would raise up a prophet. And in Jesus Christ, you did. Lord, we love you and thank you. We pray that you would have your way even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.